My company is Cyber Associates. I'm an environmental management consultant and I spend my time trying to convince people that it's good business to be good environmentalists, to be environmentally responsible. And of course the CRC scheme is one way towards it. I'm very involved at the moment in super smart metering. I'm sure you're aware of smart metering. What I do is deal with um, metering at a much greater level of detail in terms both of location and of timing. And I'd love to talk to you about it on some other occasion. But today we're talking about CRC. And this is another in a series of webinars which we've done on this topic over about the last six months now. And of course things are gradually moving on. And we've got to the point where registration has opened and we have um, the Environment Agency very much in control. It was originally saw, uh, under the control of DEFRA, but the Environment Agency is responsible for the registration and all that sort of thing, and they've issued a substantial amount of documentation. I've spent a lot of time trying to work my way through that and to update this presentation to bring you the latest information, hence we call it Next Steps. I see my role very much as a facilitator. In other words, your contributions are welcome and are very much to be encouraged. So if you have questions, if you have suggestions, if you have comments, there's a chat window on your screen. Or if there isn't, there's a chat icon in the toolbar which is floating on your screen. It's the little speech bubble. And if you open that, you can put your comments in there and we can either invite you to speak if you've got a microphone or we can comment directly on what you have to say. So let's go relatively quickly over the early stages because I think people are fairly familiar with, well not with me, that's me, but that's enough of that, that the carbon reduction commitment is a mandatory carbon reduction and energy efficiency scheme to change behaviour and infrastructure. We know that it's all about saving energy and saving money. The key question is who's liable? Who has to get involved? And it is a key question. Because if you are a full participant, there are an awful lot of things that you have to do. I, I may say that perhaps the most important decision that you have to make at the moment is whether you uh, are a full participant. And there are a number of ways of determining it, as we shall see. And if you are in the position of being able to avoid it or to minimise it, well, you're going to save yourself a lot of hard work. Right, at this point I'm going to say there are going to be about 5,000 full participants and about 15,000 information providers. The 5,000 participants will be the people who are actually going to take part in the carbon trading system. The 15,000 information providers are major users of electricity who will have to register the fact that that's what they are, but they're not using enough electricity to come within the 5,000 participants. So who in fact is liable? I'm sure many of you are aware of this already. Any organisation with mandatory half-hour metering of electricity and a half-hourly metering, half-hourly metering, it's a, um, it's a smart meter. It's a meter which records your consumption every half an hour and in fact, what we're talking about is settled half-hour metering. Settled half-hour metering means that you actually buy your electricity 
on the half hour market. It's a mandatory half hourly meter. What do we mean by mandatory? Well, if you have any organisation with a peak load of 100 kilowatts or more must have a half hour meter. Other organisations may choose to install half hour meters because, as we'll see, they provide the data for analysis of consumption patterns, which is useful for energy management. And we'll come to voluntary AMR, automated meter reading, later on. Voluntary AMR, as opposed to mandatory AMR or half hourly settled meters, voluntary AMR does not bring users into the scope of CRC. However, voluntary uh, AMRs may help with league table positions, and we'll talk about that a bit later on. So what are the criteria? If you used more than 6,000 megawatt hours of electricity in 2008, you're a participant. Now we're talking about your organization as it was in 2008, not what it might be now, but what it actually was in 2008. We're talking about calendar 2008. Everything else in this scheme is on fiscal years, but this, which is the qualifying year, is calendar 2008. If you've used less than 6,000 megawatt hours, but more than 3,000 megawatt hours in 2008, you are an information provider. You have to make an information submission. And if you used less than 3,000 megawatt hours, and in each case we're talking about half hourly settled electricity, if we used less than 3,000 megawatt hours in 2008, you again have to make an information submission, but it's even less detailed. There are, in summary, three categories, but the major category is the participant. If you're a participant because you've got over 6,000 megawatt hours in 2008, then you are liable to do all sorts of things in terms of measuring your carbon footprint, which we'll come to in a moment. The other two categories merely have to give an account. So, there are also mandated participants, and they are all UK government departments and those local authority organisations mandated by the Secretary of State. So while the private sector is governed by the criteria in terms of electricity consumption in 2008, all UK government departments are in the scheme regardless, and most local authorities subject to being mandated by the Secretary of State. Incidentally, to make a registration as a participant, there's a fee of £950, but to make an information disclosure at the lower levels, there is fortunately no charge. There are exceptions, of course. If you already come under the ETS, the EU Emissions Trading Scheme, then any um, emissions which are covered by that are excluded for the purposes of calculating your liability to the carbon reduction commitment. Equally, if you have a climate change agreement, which gives you a certain amount of relief from the climate change levy, subject to rules, you will also be exempted from the carbon reduction commitment. And also certain types of consumption do not count towards your um, 
your CRC qualification level. So transport, if you have electric transport, the electricity used for transport is not taken into account when working out whether you've used 6,000 megawatt hours in the year or not. So just before we go on in detail to who's responsible, I'd just like to know if we know um, right let's open the poll if we know where we are so my question to you is what is your involvement in CRC if you know it are you a participant are you under 6,000 are you under 3,000 or don't you know and all vote now as they say on a famous television program okay so that's very interesting that's very interesting we've got two don't knows we've got two below the threshold we've got one under six thousand we've got two full participants great okay thank you for that right the question then the next question is who is responsible and that's got quite a lot of complicated answers if we look at commercial groups the parent is responsible for group consumption and and it's on the basically on the company's act basis the parent is responsible for all its subsidiaries if your parent is overseas then obviously that doesn't apply because that's outside the scope and I imagine that if the parent is overseas and has a number of subsidiaries in this country each of those subsidiaries given that they don't have a direct link with each other, each of those subsidiaries will be considered individually on, uh, on, their, own, on their own merits. Major public organisations, as I've said, all government departments are responsible. And then we get this phrase, the counterparty to the supply contract. And that leads to some questions regarding landlord and tenant. And we'll come to that in just a moment. But uh, we've said government departments, schools via local authorities, universities will come into this as well. And franchisers. And that's an interesting one because, by definition, most franchisees are independent businesses who bought a franchise license from a franchisor. But the rules say that the franchisor is responsible for the carbon reduction commitment for all its franchisees, which appears to be quite difficult to, uh, to control because, um, as I say, they are all independent businesses. Disaggregation may be possible. Right, that's just a summary commercial groups, major public organisations, disaggregation. What is disaggregation? Disaggregation of significant group undertakings. If you've got a group, let's say the group is in the whole of the, is all in the UK and you've got a number of subsidiaries and you've got a massive organisation all over the UK and you've got one factory somewhere tucked away which has got a half alley metre and it's got over 6,000 megawatts, and there, thereby, not only is that subsidiary brought into the carbon reduction commitment scheme, but the whole group is as well. And 
as we'll see later on, when we get to the stage of carbon footprinting, because that one subsidiary has uh, crossed the threshold, the carbon footprint of the whole group will have to be analysed in detail. So what has been agreed is the principle of disaggregation of significant group undertakings, which means that you can split off that subsidiary and therefore the rest of the group doesn't have to bother. Well, in fact, it's not exactly like that. The parent company must retain its link with that subsidiary because you cannot remove a subsidiary which will remove the overall or reduce the overall consumption of the group to less than 6,000 megawatt hours. But what you could do is cut off all the other activities which don't actually fall into this, um, uh, don't cross the threshold. Um, another thing you could possibly do is um, if you've got a lot of organisations which are, say, below 6,000 and only one or two which are above 6,000, then you would disaggregate the ones which are below 6,000 and they would each have to report on their own. But because they're below 6,000, they won't get heavily involved in the, or at all, involved in the carbon footprinting exercise. So that does reduce the burden of this scheme on your organisation. Now, there are some rules, inevitably, as far as disaggregation is concerned. And the most important thing to bear in mind if you are considering dis disaggregation is that you have to register the whole group first of all and you have to do that by the 30th of June. So there's only just over two months to get the whole group registered if you've got any idea of disaggregating in order to reduce your liability to the carbon reduction commitment. The reason for this is that the individual significant group undertakings then have to register in their own right. So the group registers by the 30th of June, applies for disaggregation, and the significant group undertakings then apply in their own right. And they have the window between the 1st of July and the 30th of September to complete their own registrations. So as I've said, each significant group undertaking must register by the 30th of September. You cannot disaggregate to the extent that the remaining group falls below 6,000 megawatt hours. But of course, disaggregated, what's this word, significant group undertakings may be small enough individually not to be full participants. There are pages and pages and pages of this, but I expect you know that. Now, I mentioned the counterparty to the electricity contract, landlord and tenant issues. The point is that if a landlord is selling on the electricity to its tenants, whether it does it by billing them or whether it does it by rolling it up in an overall service charge, if the landlord is the person who actually pays the bill from the electricity company, the landlord can be responsible under the CRC for tenant emissions, but has no control over the level of those emissions. It can recover the costs of buying allowances and administering CRC by loading that onto uh, the rent or, or, or service charge. Um, and then there's the whole question of apportioning the revenue recycling payments. Revenue recycling payments we'll come back to a bit later on. 
Apparently there's a requirement for tenants to cooperate with landlords, but I haven't actually seen chapter and verse to state that. But the issue is a complex one. Basically, the landlord buys the electricity, supplies, to its, uh, supplies it to its tenants. If it buys the electricity in through a half-hourly meter and there's uh, over 6,000 megawatt hours, then that organisation is liable under the CRC. We'll have to get involved in carbon footprinting and in carbon trading. We'll have to buy the credits. And as we've said, we'll have no control over how much or how the tenants use the electricity. So the landlord is in a bit of a proverbial cleft stick. We come to registration. I'm sure many of you are aware that registration has started. And um, we have between the 1st of April to the 30th of September to make an information disclosure or to make a full representation, registration, sorry. You will probably have had notification from the Environment Agency. They sent out letters quite some time ago. They sent them out to all the people that they knew about who got half-hourly settled meters. Remember, your organisation may have several of these scattered around the country, scattered around your organisation. You need to be sure that you account for all of these at one central point. For a participant, full registration involves a fee of £950. The document, it's not a document, they did initially say they were going to send documents out in September, but they never did. Registration is now done online via the Environment Agency's website. Registration involves providing information on the organisation and its principal subsidiaries. It requires contact details for the person responsible for the organisation's participation in the carbon reduction commitment. It needs a list of all the organisation's half-hourly meters settled on the half-hourly market and also a list of any voluntary AMRs that you may have. And the total half-hourly electricity used in 2008. Now remember we're talking about 2008. We're talking about the half-hourly meters that you had in 2008, not the ones you've got now. We're talking about the voluntary AMRs that you had in 2008, not the ones you've got now. So there needs to be perhaps quite a lot of research in order to find out what the organisation was like uh, and where you exactly were in 2008. A lot of things may have changed quite dramatically. But it's 2008 which is the base year, calendar 2008. If you are using less than 6,000 megawatt hours, you make an information disclosure and as far as I know there's no charge for this. You provide information about your organisation you provide contact details for people responsible. You quote. Um, uh, you provide a list of all your half-hourly meters, quoting MPANs. Now, what's that? That's meter point administration numbers, so they can be identified. And you also provide details of the electricity used via these meters again in calendar 2008. If you're using less than 3,000 megawatt hours in a year, or if you did in 2008, you provide information about your organisation, contact details, and a list of your half-hourly meters. And that's all. 
There are penalties for non-disclosure, £500 per metre, and, um, well, the guide says that it will be enforced. So you, you've got to have this information ready, available, and logged online with the Environment Agency by the 30th of September at the latest. And given we're talking about 2008, given we're talking about organisation structure, which may have been quite different in 2008, don't underestimate the amount of work that you need to do in order to prepare the data to go into the system. Now, they say quite glibly, it'll take about 30 minutes to input the required information. I'm sure that's true, but don't underestimate the amount of man hours it'll actually take to get that data into a format so you can spend nearly 30 minutes in putting it into the system. So you need to determine the electricity consumption in your qualification year, 2008. You need to work out whether you qualify. You've got to be sure you've got all the meters. And that leads you to which band you are in. And if there's any way you can get out of the 6,000 band, if you can get away from being a participant, it's worth considering. You may be able to achieve this by disaggregation. You may be able to achieve it by exemptions, as we've mentioned before, like ETS, like CCA. Uh, and, and transport use. So, as we've said, you determine your consumption for your base year, calendar 2008. At this stage, what we are doing is identifying liability for registration. We are looking solely at electricity. At a later stage, when we get into the carbon trading, that's a different ballgame altogether. We then look at carbon footprints and we look at much more than electricity. But there is a complete distinction between your liability for, for registration and, at a later stage, your liability for payment. Once you're identified as a participant, you have to determine your carbon footprint because it's your carbon footprint your organization's carbon footprint which determines your CRC liability in other words how many credits you're going to need to buy to cover the, your emissions your liability will be for the first scheme year which is the 1st of April 2010 until 31st of March 2011 so if you are looking at working out what your liability is by looking at all your meters and by looking at your organization and finding out how much electricity you actually used in 2008 it's probably a good idea as you go down all these routes and you look at all these organizations to ask the question well if I've got to measure the carbon footprint how should I use these systems or what should I add to these systems in order to provide the information do as much as you can at the stage when you're determining liability to make, it, make sure it's easy for you if you do have to go back and measure the carbon footprint. It determines your CRC liability. And as I've said, your first footprint year is 2010-11, so it's already started. And it covers emissions from all fuels. As far as liability is concerned, as we've said, we're looking at electricity. But when we get to looking at your carbon footprint, we look at not just electricity but also gas and any other form of energy that you may be consuming.
and when you've worked out, when you've identified the fuel types that you're using and you have calculated and determined the consumption in the footprint year, and the footprint year is 2010-11, the fiscal year, not the calendar year, then you calculate emissions using conversion factors for each fuel. The conversion factors are published on the Environment Agency website. And I can't overemphasize, you must get the conversion factors from the Environment Agency website. There are conversion factors on the DEFRA website, but they appear to be very different. And they're different for, for good reasons, uh, I'm sure. They're, they're different, well, for one thing, on the DEFRA website, you have different factors for each year because they take into account the uh, generation mix, the proportion of nuclear to gas to coal. Um, so therefore, for a given quantity of electricity in this year, the carbon footprint would have been different from last year. What the Environment Agency has done has is that it's taken a standard. So that's fixed, and um, for the purposes of this scheme, that is the only factor that applies. And at first glance, the Environment Agency factor seems to be about twice the DEFRA factor. I need to go and double-check that, but um, clearly you need to err on the side of caution and take the... Well, it's not... That there is no doubt you have to use the Environment Agency factor, and if you use the DEFRA factor, you'll be wrong. So, this is the basis for the first phase. This is the basis. This carbon footprint is the basis for what you'll have to pay in respect of the first phase. So, in summary, your carbon footprint determines your CRC liability. Your first footprint year has just started. You're looking at emissions from all fuels and that will determine your liability in terms of what you've got to pay or, or the emissions credits that you've got to buy. You measure your carbon footprint by identifying the types of fuel, by determining the consumption in the footprint year, calculate the CO2 emissions by using the factors, and don't forget to adjust for exclusions. Exclusions like the climate change agreement. If you've got a 25% climate change agreement, you have a 100% CRC exemption. The climate change agreement allows energy intensive companies with significant export markets to have relief from up to 80% of the climate change levy. The climate change levy is a tax on electricity. It's a tax on electricity bought by commercial organisations. The climate change levy does not appear on domestic electricity bills. Any company with 25% or more climate change agreement, in other words, exemption from up to 20, up, exemption from 25% or more of the climate change levy, it's totally exempt from carbon reduction commitment. Subsidiaries may be excluded from groups on this basis. If the group is left with less than a thousand megawatt hours, it is then, as a group, exempt from the CRC. But you still have to do your information disclosure because you've still got your half hourly meters. So, um, a single entity with more than 25% CCA is totally exempt. A complex entity where one subsidiary has more than 25%, only the subsidiary is exempt. And then if the rest of the group uses less than 6,000, then the whole group is exempt. 
The other exemption is emissions covered by EU emissions trading. So if your organisation is already in the EU emissions trading scheme, all the emissions that are covered by that are excluded for the purposes of calculating your carbon footprint under CRC. How do you determine your CRC emissions? You look at your core sources and you look at your residual sources. What are core sources? Basically all electricity and gas. 90% of your emissions must be accounted for and usually once you've accounted for all your electricity and all your gas you will have accounted for 90%. However if you haven't accounted for 90% then you've got to look at things like uh, biofuel or um, oil which you may also be using for energy. But If you've got to your 90% simply by doing electricity and gas there may still be an advantage in declaring more than the 90%, particularly if you can see that these other fuels or these other sources of energy are going to be discontinued in the near future because you will get a, a bonus because you've reduced your, your carbon footprint in, in subsequent years. How do we determine 90%? I've written here in large letters. I suppose you've got to look at the whole thing before you can work out what 90% is. Anyway, well, that seems to be logical anyway. So your core sources, as I said, are electricity and gas. Um, and the residual ones have to be taken into account if you haven't got to your 90% uh, to bring you up to that level. You subtract from total emissions to give regulated emissions. What does that mean? You subtract your exemptions from total emissions to give regulated emissions. That's right. You subtract transport and onward supply. You subtract it all if you're CCA exempt. You can um, subtract up to 10% if it's accounted for by residuals. And as we've said, everything covered by carbon um, climate change agreement and the EU ETS. You produce a footprint report. Your footprint report has to be prepared by the 29th of July 2011. And that will state how much, how big your carbon footprint was for the period 2010-11. So you've got April, May, June, July, you've got four months to complete your detailed and final report on your carbon footprint after the end of the first scheme year next year. You have to produce an evidence pack and it is a nominated director's responsibility. The evidence pack, if you like, is the audit trail. So we are going to have to put together records with the same sort of stringency and um, requirements as you would for any sort of financial, um, any sort of financial records. So organizations may be audited. It's not like a financial record in that every organisation is audited or any major organisation is audited. What has been said is that 20% will be audited. So that means you're going to get it once every five years. Or maybe they'll pick on the larger ones. Who knows? But it will be audited. So there has to be an evidence pack. And if the evidence pack does not actually provide a clear statement of how you got your figures and there are questions that they are not accurate, then there are penalties. And the penalties are not just fixed penalties. The penalties are prorated 
to the amount of uh, the tons of carbon emissions which you've ignored. So as we'll see later, uh, carbon emissions or, or carbon credits are going to cost £12 a tonne. At least that was the latest figure announced as far as I know. If people believe that you're more than 5% out, your records are incorrect by more than 5%, then you'll be surcharged at £40 a tonne for those tonnes which you should have declared. So the bigger offenders will be proportionately punished. Right, now we come to the participation in the CRC. We have to purchase allowances and we can sell and we can bank allowances. In the first phase, allowances will be available from the government at £12 a tonne. And the first sale will take place in April next year, April 2011, to cover the previous year. At that stage, you will not probably know exactly what your carbon footprint was. So you have to buy enough to cover your expected liability. There is no limit on what you can buy in terms of carbon credits. There's also a secondary market. So if you haven't bought enough, when you get to the point of issuing your July report, or indeed if you've bought too many, you should be able to trade them with other people who've either got shortages or surpluses. There is also a safety valve, which will allow you to buy extra, uh, extra credits if you need them, and you can't find them on the secondary market, you can buy them through the CRC regulator. Allowances from the first phase may not be banked and carried forward for the second phase, but they may be banked and carried forward within the first phase. So it's, apart from the cash flow implications, the amount that you actually buy in um, uh, uh, next year isn't too much of a problem. When you get to the end of the first phase, there will be no value to any credits that you've got left over. They will evaporate, so in the later years you've got to be a little bit more careful about calculating exactly how many you need. When we get to July next year, we have to report our emissions. We have to update the evidence pack to show the exact situation for the footprint year 2010-11. We have to submit the report and we have to surrender the correct proportion of allowances to cover the emissions that were made during that period. And as I've said before, that first deadline is the 29th of July 2011. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to have a glass of water. Just a minute. As I said to my producer Martin earlier on, it's very hot and smoggy here in Beijing. At least I'm not stuck in an airport lounge. Right. We've all, I'm sure, heard of the CRC League table. Well, what's going to happen is that we're going to pay the government all these credits in July. And in October, they're going to give them all back. So it does seem rather a waste of time, doesn't it? What actually is going to happen is they're going to set up a League table. And if you are at the top of the League table... You'll get all your money back, but you'll get a 5% bonus as well. If you're at the bottom of the league table, you'll get all your money back, but you'll get a 5% penalty. 
and that bonus or penalty increases over, over time. So within five years, you'll be looking at a 50% bonus or a 50% penalty and pro rata in between. So the position on the league table is quite important. Position on the league table is important um, from a PR point of view because the government hasn't actually used the phrase name and shame but it has stated quite clearly that the league table will be publicly available so the public at large can see how environmentally responsible, how successful at managing their carbon footprint each organisation is. Now I've looked long and hard at all the documentation to try and find out how the position on the league table is going to be calculated and doing all sorts of word search in all sorts of documents I can't find it. Now I was going to email the Environment Agency but you'll probably be familiar with the fact that if you do send them a query they come straight back and they say we guarantee to answer your query within our standard terms of service i.e. 14 working days. So I'm still waiting. Anyway, there is no doubt that you will be better off the higher up the legal league table that you, you are. And that both in terms of finance and in terms of PR. There are a number of parameters which are used to determine your position on the league table. And there are these things, the absolute metric, the early action metric and the growth metric. Now in the first year, the early action metric applies. I'm ahead of my slides, um, or perhaps they're in the wrong order. Revenue recycling, as I've said, 100% return, bonus or penalty, up to 50%. Martin, we'll have to look at this slide again. You can't read the type against the background, I'm afraid. Okay, now then, this is the, say, uh, the, the timeline, the sales and revenue recycling. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back a bit because I think we've, um, we're missing the point here a bit. Where was I? 38. I'll go back to the league table. Let's talk about the early action metrics. The metrics are weighted to determine the organisation's position in the table and the weightings change from year to year. Looking first of all at the early action metric. The early action metric was brought in because a lot of people said, but we're already very green, we're already very economical, we do all sorts of things which actually reduce um, our carbon footprint, so we're going to be penalised if we, uh, you know, because it's much more difficult for us to reduce from a low base, so we're going to be penalised by this scheme. So they said, all right, we'll have the early action metric. Now, what does that mean? There are two things. One is voluntary AMRs. We talked about AMRs earlier on uh, at the start of this session. AMR, automatic meter reading, a half hourly meter. So if you put in more half hourly meters, you will get credits. Well, yes, but yes and no. Look at it this way. At the moment, you may have, well, look at a simple situation. You've got a subsidiary with six sites. One of them is a major energy user and it has an AMR, and a mandatory half-hourly meter, at the front gate, and for that reason it qualifies under the CRC. If you put in other AMRs, 
on that site behind that meter so that you can not only know what's being consumed by the site but you can know what's being consumed by the factory by the um, restaurant block and by the workshop because you put in three more AMRs although that will help you manage your electricity and monitor and identify your consumption you get no credit for that because they are submeters and AMRs if they are submeters do not count and they don't give you any benefit under the early action metric but remember this organization has got six other sites around the country and those sites have got no half hourly meters because they don't use enough electricity to justify it if you put half hourly meters on those sites then you will get credit for uh, the fact that, that that you've put them in but those meters must be the meters which are read by the fuel company to calculate the bill unlike submeters which are ignored they're yours and they're ignored by the uh, um, by the electricity company of course the ones you put at your other sites may be yours but if they are used by the electricity company for billing then they do count under the early action metric so you have to consider that and take that into account the other thing to bear in mind is that in this first year the early uh, the early action metric the, early, the benefit from the early action metric relating to AMRs is directly proportional to the electricity that's gone through those meters so if you haven't got those meters in place now you're not going to get any benefit until you put them in if you put them in next month obviously the amount of electricity that goes through between next month and the end of March next year is much greater than if you actually leave it until putting them in at the beginning of next March so the the benefit uh, in terms of early action metric for putting in voluntary AMRs depends one on them being fiscal meters and used for billing and two it's directly related to when you put them in because it's the actual flow of electricity through them in the time in the time period that counts so that's the first one uh, of course you will not you will not get a um, hundred percent credit because by definition you're only metering with your voluntary AMRs those bits of the organization which are not already metered by the mandatory half hourly meter okay we've got another question here oh got lots of questions here um, how does having a meter increase your credits um, surely it's what you do with the information well that's yes I would agree with you it's what you do with the information but um, that's not how the Environment Agency takes it into account. The Environment Agency says, have you got an AMR in place, uh, a voluntary AMR, is it used for billing, how much electricity went through it? Now, I agree that if you put that meter in, even if you put in a sub-meter, if that gives you more information, then that is going to be to your benefit. It's not going to be beneficial from the point of view of meeting these early action metric criteria, but if it's allowing you to feed back information to your staff, your colleagues and the people in your organization so that they understand where energy is being wasted and they can reduce the consumption, then that is going to benefit you because 
quite apart from all these adjusting factors, the absolute metric, which I've not spoken about before, but the absolute metric, the actual amount of power that you use, uh, is fundamental, of course, to what you're going to pay. Now, this doesn't apply in the first year. The absolute metric can't apply in the first year because what they're trying to do is to compare this year with last year. Well, this year is the first year of the scheme, so there's no previous year to, it, to, to compare it with. But if you put in some sort of metering system, which is not an AMR, but does help you to actually improve your efficiency and reduce your usage, then you'll benefit from that point of view when you come to next year and you've made a significant reduction in your energy usage in comparison to what you were using the year before. The other part of the early action metric is the carbon trust standard, which is, if you like, a standard organised by the Carbon Trust. It's, um, it's an energy management system, as far as I can understand. It's having evidence of controls and systems and so on in place so that you can um, um, ensure that you're managing your energy as efficiently as possible. Now, the Carbon Trust standard is not the only standard. And the, the Environment Agency has said that others, have, um, others will be um, allowed for the purposes of the early action metric. I don't believe they have yet published anything to say what will qualify apart from the Carbon Trust Standard. But if we look at, um, uh, if, if we look at environmental management systems in general, can I just ask you, here comes another poll, all vote now. Does your organisation already have an environmental management system? Do you have one in place? And so far, yep, in operation. Two in operation, four in operation. I take the last one as I don't know. So, yeah, so four of you have got it in operation. Two have got it in implementation. Two who uh, have no plans and from one we have no answer. Okay, so you're all aware of uh, environmental management systems, and frankly, if we don't have them, we're going to struggle. We're all going to struggle to meet the criteria for the carbon reduction commitment. The you know what I'm trying to say. So the absolute metric—that's the change year on year. The early action metric I just discussed. The growth metric. Now, the growth metric. This is what China was saying when they were talking about the. I think it was back in Copenhagen. They were going to say that we are going to reduce the proportion of emissions per unit of output. What that means is if the units of output go up, then the emissions go up. But if you reduce the proportion, the, um, the emissions don't go up by the same percentage as, as, um, as production goes up. So the growth metric is where people say we have actually increased our scale of operations but we have not increased our emissions by the same proportion because we are doing things more efficiently and they will get credit through the growth metric which will come in in the second year onwards from memory uh, it'll have to because you can't you've got to compare year on year um, so they're saying we are being more efficient so we should get credit for it um, I myself can't really see the logic in that because more emissions are more emissions on a planetary scale even though you may be being more efficient. If you carry on growing and growing and growing, uh, if your emissions are growing, 
whether they're growing in relation to greater or smaller production, they're still growing. But there you go. That's a philosophical, perhaps, or even political argument, which I'm sure we have no time for here. Okay, so that's the CRC League table. And as I've said, the recycling payments come 100% back with a bonus or a penalty in October, and they're prorated to the league table position. And you'll be paid at £12 a tonne, which is the standard rate for, the, um, for carbon under the scheme, but that may not necessarily be what you paid. If you got caught short and you had to go on the secondary market and buy it, you may have paid more for your credits, and you'll only get back the statutory amount, not necessarily what you paid for it. As I said earlier on, there are penalties for incorrect reporting, as long as there's a 5% margin for error, and these penalties are prorated to the organisation's emissions. Okay, we've got another question here. Wow. Right, I'll read this one. Oh, gosh, there's, there's several here. Now then, let me see. Uh, right, I'll read these through and I'll try and deal with them one by one. We're supplied by 100% renewable electricity from October 2008 and are exempt from the CCL. Question is, will we be exempt from the CRC and just have to make a disclosure? Well, if you've climate, you're totally exempt from the climate change levy. In other words, you've got a climate change agreement in excess of uh, 25%. So in my view, uh, on that basis, yes, you should be exempt. That's what it sounds like anyway. Um, if, on the other hand, and it won't be your case because you've got 100% renewable uh, electricity, but if somebody has got renewable electricity in the mix of their supply, you don't get any special treatment for renewable electricity. Right, when converting electricity using the Environment Agency conversion factors, why is there no difference between green electricity and brown electricity? If all electricity is purchased from renewable sources, then surely its carbon footprint will be significantly less. Yeah, that's uh, that could be seen to be a political argument to some extent. Um, what is green electricity? Um, you, nobody can use green, green electricity 100% of the time uh, because it's not available 100% of the time. So the way it works is that the system puts, um, or, or the, the, the turbines and so on, put their electricity into the grid um, they may put more electricity into the grid at certain times than their customers are using so therefore it all balances out later on because the, when they're not producing that much the customers take some conventional electricity to make up for it so on balance um, well they're, they're using green um, Yeah, if all electricity is purchased from renewable resources, then surely its carbon footprint will be significantly less. Yep, that's true. The amount of renewable electricity, as far as I know, at this stage is about 5%. It's not a great deal. And I think possibly they just decided that it would be too complicated to uh, deal with it separately. Because after all, people change suppliers from year to year, and you might have green electricity for three months and the finance director might come along and say that's far far too expensive so we're going to have to have conventional electricity for the other nine months and it would make reporting a bit of a mess so maybe that's why it's it's not been um, separated now we've got another question here 
Um, my company provides catering services for other organisations. The premises are not ours in the vast majority of cases, but the clients, although we are the only ones burning the electricity in the kitchens... Right, OK. So is my understanding correct that it is the client that is responsible for the CRC on these sites? Yes, it is. Yeah, the premises are not ours, but the, but the, the clients... Uh, pre yeah, the premises are not ours, but the clients although we are the ones burning the electricity in their kitchens. So is my understanding correct that it is the client that is responsible for the CRC on these sites? Yes, it is, because it's the question about who is the counterparty to the uh, supply contract. Who is paying the bill? It's your client. So they are responsible under CRC. If the electricity usage is metered separately and billed in my organisation's name, then presumably we become liable for the CRC. Yes, that is exactly how the distinction is determined. Yeah, excellent. Good question. Thank you very much. Okay, okay. Where are we now? Well, I will come on to this uh, this timeline. I think which I started talking about. The timeline is the next slide. Right. Moving on towards, in fact, the the capped phase. But first of all, we have just to uh, reiterate the first sale. As we said, participants pay for their estimate for 2010-11, for the footprint year, in April 2011. And the government then holds one year's worth of revenue. In July, you have to report your actual performance for 2010-11. And you also make... Uh, yes, ignore that blob, but in July you report, but you also have to surrender your allowances. Um, in October 2011, the first recycling payments are made and all revenue from that April sale, that one year's worth of revenue, is recycled back from the government to the participants. And at that point, the government holds no CRC revenue. As we've said, it's returned disproportionately in relation to the uh, league table. April 2012, there'll be a second sale and the participants pay for the forecast 2011-12 allowances the allowances are released to the participants. And at that point, as in um, April 2011, the government holds one year of scheme revenue. Then, in July 2012, another report and surrender of allowances. Allowances for 2011-12. And on we go to October 2012, and the second recycling payments are made. The revenue from that April's sales recycled back from the government to participants and the government holds no scheme revenue. So that's what it does. Now, of course, we then moved on to the capped phase. But I think what we're talking about here and today is what we've got to do this week, next week, by the 30th of September. What's going to affect us on the uh, 1st of April next year? How we're going to do our reports in July and what sort of money we're going to get back in October 2011? The capped phase is when we move on to something nearer than the open market, when the um, price of carbon will not be £12 a tonne, it'll be what is available on the market. And at that stage, the allowances will start to be reduced and more pressures will be put on to participants to be even more efficient. At that stage also, there'll be a revision of the, of the, of the basic qualifying year. So they'll do a reassessment. They'll no longer use the situation in 2008. They'll use the assessment, uh, the situation, I think, in 2012. 
so that may well make things much fairer but capped phase is for the future that's three years off we've got a lot to do now and as I said when I started the most important thing is to determine whether you are actually a participant and if you are whether there's any way you can avoid being a participant because it'll save you all that grief of having to, to do a carbon footprint analysis quite apart from actually having to buy allowances and pay out money and to agonize over where you're going to be on the league table having said that I am convinced that organizations smaller organizations will be put into the, pulled into the net as we go forward you may be aware that the Companies Act 2006, which is not yet in operation, uh, requires every organisation to include a carbon footprint to include a carbon footprint report in its annual statutory report and accounts. Now that's subject to parliamentary ratification in 2012, but it's bringing the obligation to use energy efficiently closer and closer to smaller and smaller organisations. Benefits. Oh yes, that's it. Cap phrase. April 2013 registration and um, limited allowances. Sale by auction. Early action. Yes, the early action metric will no longer be relevant. Benefits from the CRC. It saves energy, saves money, minimises climate change levy, and receive. Uh, and your organisation can receive good PR. There are arguments before and against it. There is an awful lot of work involved in setting up the CRC. Some would say that saving 4,000 million tonnes a year out, uh, no, saving 4 million tonnes a year out of 630 million tonnes a year, which is the total EU, sorry, the total UK emissions, is no big deal. But on the other hand, I feel, as I've said, this is going to be extended and more and more people are going to feel uh, not only the, um, not only will people feel increased pressure, but more people will feel a pressure. Preparation. Preparation. Now is the time. What to do now? Well, start assessing your energy consumption in 2008 if you haven't already. Which band are you in? It doesn't matter if your scale of activity has changed since then. You've got to report on the basis of what your scale of activity was in 2008. Don't underestimate how long it'll take. You've got till the end of September, although if you're thinking of disaggregating your group, You've got to report your whole group by the end of June. Calculate the likely costs of CRC, the carbon footprint, all fuels. It's going to have a cash flow implication because you're going to have to pay the money in July next year. And you, although you'll get it back, it's going to be with the government from July till October. So there's a cash flow implication. Determine the early actions that could save money. But to be perfectly honest, savings are probably the most productive. In other words, changing behaviour, encouraging people to be more efficient and therefore making an absolute reduction in your energy is probably going to be the most effective in the longer term. Because if you reorganise your um, enterprise so that you're, you're using less energy this year, that's a saving. And if you run the same way next year, that's the same saving again and again and again. So don't underestimate the value of that. Assess the benefits to the business of having a high position in the published league table or indeed the penalties of having a low position in the league table. Consider the adequacy of systems to provide an auditable evidence pack. We're really going to have to look at accounting standards or systems of accounting standards. 
so that they are auditable, so that when the auditors come knocking, as they will, not every year, but as they will, you will be able to show them without doubt that this is what you've based all your calculations on and you will be able to avoid the penalties which you might otherwise incur. Uprate or design and implement systems suitable to carry the organisation through both the first and second phases. As I said earlier on, when you go around looking to see whether you were, on the 2008 criteria, liable, take the opportunity to carry on and uh, uh, identify the sort of systems that you'll need to measure the carbon footprint. Consider the wider implications of a low carbon economy. How far can you continue to deliver reductions? For how long will your present business model continue to be viable? Quite fundamental questions there. I also do scenario planning, but that's another story. But quite seriously, if we're actually going, and this, the objective of this is to reduce our nation's carbon footprint by 34% by 2020, which is only 10 years, if that means you're going to use 34% less energy, are you still going to be able to run your business in the way that you run it now? It may only be 3% this year, 3% next year, and 3% the year after. But when you get to 2020, you may be looking at a fundamentally different business. And maybe you should be looking at that now, so that you're ready and you're prepared when those pressures are hitting everybody else. Survival of the fittest, as always. I've lost my mouse. Ah, there we go. At this point, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your attention. I hope that's been useful. I'm very grateful for your questions. If you've got any more questions, I'm happy to stay here and answer them. What I'll ask Martin to do is to send you out the link to the Environment Agency's uh, site, particularly to the um, documents that I've based this discussion on. I'm sure you, many of you are familiar with them already, but um, I'll, I'll ask him to push that out anyway. If you think of any questions later on, uh, then please don't hesitate, drop him or me an email and we'll do what we can to follow this up and provide you with uh, more information. So at that point, once again, thank you. Thank you to Martin James, who's been sitting quietly in the background and producing all this wonderful technology. So with that, uh, from me, Anthony Day from Cyber Associates, sitting here in Beijing, good afternoon and enjoy the rest of your day. So, yes. Yeah. Which, by the way, is very good. And thanks for updating that uh, with uh, uh, lots, of, lots of great new material. That was really good. Okay, good. Well, I'm sure we're running it again before long, and I'm sure there'll be even more information because this is very much an ongoing situation. And um, I'm also sure that uh, we will be inviting guests on the session who will be able to share their first hand experiences because uh, that's what we've done in the past, isn't it?